Good day. Welcome to The Trendy Place. This is The Trend Podcast with Justin A. Williams. We're here to bring you content from all across the spectrum that's exciting, brand new, and fresh, and always trendy. Today, we have a great guest on. And before we do that, let me have a little disclaimer. The views expressed today are not the views of New York Trend Media or TTW Associates. Instead, they are the views of the guests and myself. No more, no less is a place of dialogue. Okay, Trenders. So, we have Josh Grahan. You know, Grahan, Grahan. I, I, Grahan. I, we, on the rugby team, we didn't really say <laughs> last names. <laughs> but uh, Josh is a great friend of mine. We went to college together. And we were on the rugby team together as well, creating a lot of fantastic songs uh, after our victories and whatnot. And so he's going to talk to us about, he works at Helios Venture Capital? Uh, Climate Ventures, yeah. Helios Climate Ventures. Climate Ventures, yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk today about a couple of things relating to how climate change affects the urban community, how we can get people in the urban community to be more involved and invested in the climate change fight, if it's something you believe in, why you should believe in it, right? And also things about like, has it been misbranded? Is it a liberal issue only? For those conservatives out there, is it really something that you should be ignoring or it should just not even be a wedge issue at all, amongst other issues? So I'm going to kick it to Josh to open up and introduce himself. What's going on, man? Justin, uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on the pod. Really excited for the conversation that's about to happen. So I guess a little bit about me, I'll try and keep it brief so we can dive into the topics because I think we got a lot to cover and some great topics to discuss. So name's Josh Green, originally from Saskatchewan, Canada, which is above Montana, North Dakota. Came down to the States for college where I had the pleasure to meet you and since then, worked in a variety of areas. You know, I was deeply passionate about being in the nonprofit space. So that's where I initially went, worked for a couple different nonprofits, spent some time in the Canadian government, and then ended up joining a startup with some buddies in the biotech space. Never thought I'd be doing biotech and had the pleasure of doing that for a couple of years, helped grow a company, helped take it public, uh, and then got through that and was really, you know, what are the things that really motivate me? And there's a lot of big issues that keep me up at night, but climate change was the one that really grabbed my attention. So started looking, trying to find another startup in the climate tech space, and through a series of coincidence, uh, happy coincidences, ended up working with the Helios Climate Ventures team, which is a VC shop, a venture capital shop focused on investing in climate tech-focused startups. And it's been a real pleasure to work with them, and I'm definitely excited to talk about the space and you know, see where the conversation goes. Awesome. We love that here. So for our audience, you know, a little background for the why we're doing this conversation is because it seems as though that the political climate in this country is getting to a place where it might be doomsday, right? I mean, some people are actually legitimately saying on news networks that there could be a civil war, that we are just more divided than ever, uh, and that issues such as climate change, as well as gender and race, are so intractable that they divide us so much that really there's no real hope left. And to start off the conversation, I, I'm wondering, in your experience working in this industry, do you really feel that we are as divided as it seems? And if we are, uh, in your opinion, what 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 can we do about that? Yeah. So, look, I think every day we're saturated with conversations about how we've never been more divided and. You know, I I got my master's in history, so sometimes I like to take the long view and remember that we did have a civil war <laughs> that was the most deadly event um, in U.S. history. Yeah. So we have been more divided, but 
in recent history, it does seem real ugly. Um, and it's really unfortunate. And I think climate change is an example where I actually think a lot of this comes down to how we frame things and how we present them, right? I think if you say, oh, climate change, it, it's kind of just become a buzzword that immediately electrifies and galvanizes people to either viewpoint, like, oh, we have to do everything we can to stop it, or, wow, ah, that's not real. That's just a bunch of, you know, liberal intelligentsia elites telling me what to do. But I think if you step back and you reframe the conversation. Or it's a lie. Some yeah. people even believe it's a lie. Or it is a lie. This is true. But I think if you reframe the conversation and you talk about climate change or the environment in different ways, I think you can actually get a lot of consensus, right? So if you talk to somebody, hey, do you want to conserve the earth so it's clean there for your kids? And people go, yeah, because they, they can relate. They, they've seen, you know, clear-cut forests or they've seen, you know, polluted rivers and those types of things, right? There's actually a strong conservation tendency within traditionally conservative politics. You know, if you look at a lot of the lands that have been set aside, they're actually done a lot by conservative groups. Now, they might be for things like they want to preserve hunting ranges or areas, but they have a deep investment in the environmental community or in the environment. It's just presented in a different way. And I think if we start to talk about, hey, climate change actually impacts those areas that you care about the flora, the fauna, right? The the plants and animals that you want to preserve, that you had the pleasure of, that you want to pass on to your children. We're all trying to do that. And I think if we shift the language a little bit and get people to think about it and pull it from this abstract term climate change to real day-to-day -day specifics, I do think we can build consensus. But I think the challenge is that requires a conversation. And most times these days, I don't think people have the time for conversation, right? Like just look at you know, I'm like, right, I, right. I'm not on TikTok, but the fact that it's it's a medium that basically exists to give you something in 15, 20 seconds, right? Or Twitter, 150 right. soon, or then right. 250 characters. We don't like conversations. We want things fast and quick. And I think when we do it that way, we do end up in a very fragmented space because climate change has become a wedge issue, unfortunately. Yeah, big wedge issue. I, I remember back in like high school government class when we first learned about what wedge issues were and we talked about ronald reagan was like the master at manipulating wedge issues like so many of the wedge issues we have today were created uh during that kind of conservative revolution of the late 70s and the 80s and I, that's really when climate change tech, you know technology and, and activism starts and unfortunately, it just gets lumped into liberal student activ activism and it gets a bad branding, you know? And I think, I don't know, it, it, politics is funny because we think politics is what the media is saying, you know, what's on CNN, what's on Fox, what's on MSNBC. But really, politics for me has always been about legislation. You know, that's what really matters. And it's got to be frustrating for someone like you who has a, a keen love of politics but also has worked in the space and I'm sure as a venture capitalist, too, to see that we're not passing legislation like we, we really should be. We're not really innovating the space in a way that we really are having discussions. I mean, there's this, 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 this points where the Trump campaign had, I think we were talking about this yesterday, they had an anti-climate change agenda. But that was so different than John McCain only, what, 10 years ago, who had who had a climate change agenda and was a Republican. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you referenced, you know, John McCain. Right. I think uh, if you go back and you look at the 2008 campaign between Barack Obama and John McCain, you might argue to the extent with which one is you know better for the climate. 
but it was a difference of degree, not of like, and you know, they both had a climate change out platform, right? You can, it's still online. You can actually go election 2008, New York times, and you can see, right. And you got like, you know, McCain co-authored legislation to cap greenhouse emissions, right? He wanted to put in a cap and trade policy and right. stood by that. Can you imagine, right? right. Uh, a yeah. leading Republican right now saying, yeah, we, I believe in cap and trade and talking about wanting to like regulate emission standards on vehicles. And because it made sense, right? If you, if you care about the climate, if you, you believe right. the science and the data and it's pretty clear, well, then you have to take action. And, you know, if you act first and you lead, you get to set the rules and the terms. And if you're a market leader and you're an innovator, that then means you get to monopolize, I shouldn't say monopolize, capitalize on the change that's coming. Like it's actually, it's great business sense, I think, to be a leader in climate change, because if you think climate change is real, we have to transform everything we need to do in this world. That's trillions of dollars that are going to have to shift. And, you know, instead of the U.S. leading, we see ground to other people. Um, so I just think it's, you know, from a business perspective, it's a bad thing not to care about. And then Obviously, more importantly, from the you know environmental human humanitarian perspective, it's super important. But yeah, it's become a wedge issue, and it's really unfortunate because, like I said at the start, I think if you get away from the buzzwords and you talk about what we're really discussing here, there's a lot of support for it. But it's just been boiled down to oh, climate change. Oh, they just want to tax it, or they they want to take my truck away from me, or they want to tell me what to do, and it's like. No, that's that's really not what's happening here. Like, we just want to find a way that us, all humanity, and the animals and plants that we interact with can survive. Because we don't have a planet B right now, right? Despite what Elon Musk is trying to do with Mars and everybody else, like Earth's what we got, right. and we got to focus on it and right. make it better. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we got something. We got something good here on Earth, and we don't want to fuck it up. Uh, yeah. This, 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 right, you said doesn't want to go. And honestly, I mean, we'll go the way of the dinosaurs. Yeah. You know, we'll, 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 we'll just self-flatulate ourselves into oblivion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and I, 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 think, I think you're totally right about, you know, um, the business opportunity that is there, which you think that most Republicans would, would appreciate, right? I mean, if you look at the crypto space, Crypto started as a kind of liberal idea, but it's now favored by Republicans and conservatives more than it is favored by the Elizabeth Warrens of the world. Yeah, well, and I find that to be an awkward, an awkward kind of switch, right? Yeah. Well, I guess like, but you know, it's 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 it's. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say it's interesting, right? Because if you think about that, right? Um, I'm gonna take broad stereotypes. One of the things that's really exciting about a lot of the clean technology that's being developed. And I think that's actually parting where you're starting to see maybe buy-in from more traditionally conservative audiences is the autonomy or independence that it allows, right? Right now, if you want your power or your energy, you need a large power plant. You need the grid to help you out. You get solar panels installed on your right. roof. You get a backup power wall or something put on your home. Your ability to go off the grid but still have electricity becomes a thing because you can generate your own power and like, look, that's good for the environment. And I think that's a great benefit, but also another one that might appeal to people is like this idea of energy independence, right? So you're not dependent on some major power plant that's miles and miles away that could go off or on that could have a transmission line break. Like, look, I live out of the countryside. 
we lose power multiple times a year when trees fall and knock out power lines. You got solar panels, you got backup batteries. Right. Suddenly you can start to be independent and autonomous. And that I think is like an appealing way to frame it, right? It's like, you know, oh, this energy independence on a personal level, just not a national level. And like that, I think might be the type of stuff where you can maybe start to resonate with people where, you know, maybe are a little more traditionally conservative in their viewpoint. I think that might be, as you're kind of alluding to, and I don't know the crypto space well at all, but the idea of like decentralized finance, like how do we get away from major centralized institutions, right? Which appeals to a libertarian yeah. individual. Well, you can see the same with, you know, independent power generation, and it just happens to be green, right? Right, right. I think a lot of times when people say climate change, they think of just, you know, a bunch of hippies saying, yeah, we love to hug trees or, you know, we want the sky to be better, right? Which is so uh, vast and, and kind of nebulous. Um, what do you feel about regulation? Because I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I, I watch Bill Maher, uh, the comedian, and he talks about how hard it was. It took him years to get his solar energy set up in his house due to California's regulations and because of the cost of the technology. So for the average individual, is this really a feasible thing to do? So uh, I never thought it's really interesting. Like, as I said, I started in the nonprofit, then went into government space. And when I was young, it's always like mm, government, they're, they're, they're what we need to get things done. And then I start working in business. And the number of times I catch myself going like, gosh, darn government regulation, getting me in the way of getting stuff done. And I was going to be like, whoa, whoa, let, let me check myself. Yeah. Like, I think we need regulation for a variety of things but it can really slow down things. And in the United States, actually one of the largest barriers to solar deployment is regulation. Like it's an unbelievably complicated mess. And, you know, there's been a lot of great articles published comparing the United States has the highest cost to get like so solar installed on your home, compare the U S to Australia. And they're right. vastly cheaper to do in Australia. And one right. of the reasons why is they removed all the government regulation. Like right now you have, state level you have county level you can have city level there's all these different standards that can just make it a nightmare and they drive up costs and they slow down deployment and i think one of the interesting things right is like and this is where you know i think it's an interesting dance between and you'll see this in the environmental space there's a lot of tension where you've got you know a, an emerging viewpoint is that we actually have a bunch of the technology that we need today to get us to a pretty near clean perspective, right? We can generate most of our power green. So it's not that we need new tech, it's that we need to deploy it. Now, the thing with deploying that technology is we're encountering that a lot of regulation can actually be slowing down that deployment, the permitting process. And there's always there's these interesting battles that are emerging where people are like, I wanna put up a solar panel field in you know this desert. And then somebody goes, oh, that desert is home to this rare tortoise. You know, so because we want to protect the tortoise, we don't get the solar panels. And look, I don't right. I'm not saying the tortoises don't right. matter. They do. But if we right. have catastrophic global warming and they die because, you know, the environment's too hot. Well, maybe it's a right. little bit of a trade off. And like this is an interesting example, like where regulation can sometimes hinder or slow down deployment. Like we need to deploy fast. So uh, Bill Maher, he's not wrong. So regulations are making it a pain in the ass to get solar done, and we need to get better at that and streamline the process. But at the same time, there's an important role for government to play, not only getting out of the way, air quotes, to allow deployment, but also passing legislation that incentivizes and moves us to build 
more, to invest more, to develop faster, right? Like I'm a big believer that the private sector needs to innovate and create solutions that people want, but we also need government to create the frameworks and to put forward the investments necessary and the rules to sunset old industries that are benefiting from, you know, unseen subsidies, which the oil and gas industry receives a ton of is unbelievably subsidized, but we just don't see it that way. And we need to actually make oil and gas pay for what they do, right? Classic negative externalities at the gateway with, with not enough pain. And then we also have to set regulations to enable or facilitate clean tech and climate industries to thrive and to like grow at scale, right? So there's a massive role for government to play. And I think one of the things that I found incredibly frustrating in the space, you know, is when Biden was elected, he had this very exciting, promising climate change agenda that's just got completely stalled out, right? Like we got some and build back better. That's very yeah. exciting. But there was a bunch of like a climate change bill that was going to pass. And then like the Democrats can't get it done because they can't get 50 votes. You know, they can't get all their Senate involved. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, like we need to get stuff passed. And like when even the Democratic Party, which is ostensibly the environment party in the United States, has control of all three of the, you know, the House, the Senate and the presidency. And if they can't get stuff passed, then you're like, right. how screwed are we? Right. It's hard not to get a little bleak sometimes. Man. So you're hearing it right here from a great source that I mean, this is a, obviously a complicated issue. Uh, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's it's one that I think it's easy for us to say, oh, these people are being lazy and these people are just just get it done, get it done. And I do hate that as somebody who I've worked in politics, I have a master's in politics. I don't like it when the common person says, why can't they just get it done? And then those same people will go and protest some issue that's counter to another issue and then nothing gets done. And then they still say, why isn't anything getting done? Yeah. Right. And I think we get the same bullheadedness, I think, in, in, in this regulation kind of aspect, because people profit from regulations. The more regulation we have, the more people that have their hands in the pot and the more people that can benefit from any kind of scenario and even the intractability. Right. I mean, look at what they did in France with nuclear plants and and um, and pipelines and and trains. Right. I mean, this is uh this is no bigger country than us, no richer than us. They are a democracy as well. And yet they really get things done in a quick and efficient manner. Uh, and I hope my hope is, and specifically for the urban community, because, you know, climate change impacts you. You know, there's not a lot of trees or foliage in, in a lot of urban communities. Um, there's a lot of garbage uh, being wasted on the streets there. Uh, there's a lot of animals that that draws in. It, the, the heat index in urban communities is way hotter. It gets hotter there. It, it, sometimes it gets colder. It's just it, it can be a burden to live in those communities, um, and and even for people who don't live in those communities, right? Uh, what about just your fellow American? I hear all this talk on the conservative side. We are in this together. The conservative, uh, the, the 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 we the people and all these things. And I'm not knocking it. I I I I feel patriotic as well. But I do see that there's a little hypocrisy in this debate. That's that's really stifling a lot of education that we could be having yeah so two things one i i want to i think it is patriotic to complain because what it means is you care right the thing is to make it patriotic it's not yeah, only to complain yeah. but then it's to act it's super easy to be the haters sitting on the sidelines right. and just throw stones that's simple 
but then like, and okay, right. good. At least you care enough. You're not indifferent. You're not apathetic, but then you better get out there and do something about it. Cause if you right. see a problem and you don't act to solve it, well then that's where I actually have a problem with you. Right. Um, cause like, man, we need a oh, lot of okay. change and you better yeah. like roll up your, roll up your sleeves and get in the game. Now, what I also like that you did though, Justin, I want to delve into is I want to talk about the human aspect of this and like why it matters for all of us. Because I think, as you said, I think right. often when we think about climate change, like you asked me what to think, oh, a polar bear, a polar bear, you know, on a melting ice cap and, you know, some the environment, <laughs> right. trees wilting, desertification. And those are all things that we should care about. Right. But like the human scale and the human impact right. in our communities, like for our, our fellow citizens, our friends, our families, you know, our neighbors. Right. And like you did a great example talking about in a city. Right. Kind of hard to think about. You know, if anything, the city is almost a quintessential non-NATO space, right? It's it's a built environment. It's concrete. It's buildings. It's cars. But climate change obviously matters there. And you talked a little bit about the heat index, and I I just want to tease delve into this a little bit because I think it's a really good example, right? So, sure. Look, so Oregon, where I live right now, and the Pacific Northwest last year had a major heat wave. Temperatures were 30 degrees Fahrenheit above the average, right? Smashed records over 114. You do not get 114 Fahrenheit in Portland. Like that's not supposed to happen. Now, mm. what happened as a result? Yeah. Hundreds of people died. Who were the people who died? You yeah. know, they were mostly the elderly. Yeah. They were mostly low income people, mm. people with pre-existing health conditions, right. right? Now, why? Because if you could afford AC, you could go in, stay inside, and the heat didn't get to you. If you couldn't afford AC, right, and, like, AC is expensive, um, it's not that common in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest, because there's normally not this much heat, you risk death. And in between Washington and Oregon, hundreds of people were expected to have died more than you'd normally see, right? So this mass event, like, you know, this heat wave, Killed, might have killed over 600 Americans. We don't see it that way because, and like it right. doesn't get the same news coverage because it's not as graphic, right? You, it's not a, you know, it's not the Miami Tower collapse, which is a horrible event that occurred down in Miami. It's not a forest fire where you can go. It's not a tornado where you can see the ruins in the same way. But it is unbelievably deadly, and I think it's important to remember this. And the reason why I want to talk about heat waves, especially as it relates to like you know people living in urban settings is because, as you noted, the heat in cities um, like is really dependent on your built environment. There's a bunch of stuff like, you know, if you're affluent, you're rich, you live in an area where you got nice green lawns and big leafy green trees, right? That means versus if you're in an area where none of that exists, um, right? Like I lived in New York for a period of time and <laughs> I, I was working at a nonprofit, I didn't have any money. So I wasn't living in like the fancy part of town and like, there wasn't any trees on my block, right? Right. And it was literally, right. you know, on average, those areas can be seven degrees Fahrenheit higher. And like that seven degrees Fahrenheit can oh. be the difference between life or death in the same city. So like you could be eight blocks apart and in one spot it's 100 and another is 107. That matters, right? So like yes. that's just a small example about like how climate change and like this is only going to get worse these heat extremes are only going to get worse and people who are disproportionately impacted are going to be those with less resources um 
And like, we need to, and like, there's also all these health things that like we could get into about how climate change isn't just an environmental issue. It's a people issue. It's a health issue. And it matters for all of us because like, you know, we're all impacted by, it. we all have loved ones who are exposed or at risk of it, you know? Right. Well, yeah. So, so let's get into the health piece too, yeah. because I think this is a good segue because, you know, uh, for, for me personally, I've dealt with heat strokes during my life. Uh, for whatever reason, I go to exercise outside. It could be because I, I, um, I have, my mom has thalassemia. I might have it too. Uh, it's, it's, it's a Mediterranean, usually in the Mediterranean genome, uh, which is one of the ways we found out we're part Greek. We did not know that. Uh, but it, 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 it was a burden on me. And, you know, I lived in an urban community. I lived in Queens and it was just, so hot, I, I couldn't enjoy doing what other kids were doing, playing basketball outside, soccer, walking around, <clears throat> hanging by the fire hydrant. And it wasn't until I moved to the suburbs where I really stopped having that problem. Uh, I could exercise outside. I was a lacrosse player. I was a cross-country runner, track, totally fine. And as you know, when we went to Princeton, you know, that's obviously not uh, an urban community. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's got fresh air. It's got everything you need. Uh, I, I don't want people who are listening to think that this is only a conversation for the privileged. And I don't mean that as Republican or Democrat, because there are wealthy liberals who are involved in this fight. There are wealthy uh, moderates involved in this fight. And I feel like, unfortunately, we don't hear about their health impacts. But we do hear a lot about the impacts on black and brown people, other people in the urban community. And I feel like the conversation has never shifted to, well, what are we going to do about it? In our community, I feel like we talk a lot about race, we talk a lot about police, and we talk a lot about gender. But I don't hear a lot in our community about what are the real health costs of climate change. So can you distill it down to a personal level? So what what actually can climate change do, is doing to your life that maybe you don't even notice? Okay, I'm going to start at one that's going to sound like a stretch, so like bear with me, right? Climate change... Sure and pandemics now why so okay okay yeah um and it, like this is like the world health organization like talking about this this is the cdc talk about this so like this isn't like some crackpot like corner on the internet this is like legit sources who will happily talk about this and like go online read about it educate yourself right um don't trust just me but like sure sure um so one of the ways is okay you got deforestation. You're we're expanding into environments where animals live. Those animals start to lose their habitat. They start to move into urban centers, right? Where where do a lot of the pandemics come from? Okay. They come from diseases transferring over from animals into humans. So if we are distressing popu animal populations and removing their natural habitat and making them live in like cities or other, you know, urban centers where people are, you increase the risk of animal to human transmission or transfer of diseases, right? So there is right. real reasons to believe that climate change, because climate change is a, in part due to deforestation and losing natural habitats can cause a pandemic. And as I think we learned from COVID, you know, a pandemic affects everybody. Does it affect everybody equally? Hells no, but does it impact everybody? Yes. Another example, right? Right. Mosquito borne illnesses. As we start to get warmer, we start to expand the range of the areas where mosquitoes can live, right? 
2014, 2015, everybody remembers Zika, right? And like the Zika fear, um, where it's like, oh my God, right? What part of that's a mosquito borne illness, right? And like we start to see mosquito borne areas where they are expand, right? You know, there's a there's a world where like maybe malaria returns to the United States. Like <laughs> hasn't been over here for a while, but yeah. if you start to like really see the range with which mosquitoes can operate in. So then we start having more diseases. We start spreading. And I, I know this sounds so out there, but like this is real and it is happening. So that's why I'm trying to say like, talk about COVID, yeah. you know, talk about Zika. Um, and then just like coming down to yeah. it. Right. Uh, okay. Let's also talk about health. Right. And I, you know, why this matters to everybody. Um, coal power plants, major carbon emitters. You know, if there's one thing we should just, be doing it should be shuttering coal power plants in a responsible environmentally but also socially just way because they employ people they're pillars of communities but we need to start decommissioning these plants coal power plants if you look at asthma rates around them are massive and like they kill thousands of americans every year because of dirty air like the largest killer of humans like the biggest suck on human life that people don't understand or recognize is actually air pollution, right? And where is air pollution mostly happening? Around coal power plants and in cities. Like, if you want to freak yourself out, go look at a picture of like Chennai, India, or like Beijing, and look at their smog index. And then imagine sucking that in day after day. Now, that's far apart, and that might not feel relevant for Americans, but you can then also go and look at like, deaths from asthma around coal power plants you can look at like you know there's been a bunch of work at like in new york around harlem and other areas where people are like oh buses are left to idle and then the noxious fumes that are released yeah. and what that means and like why are asthma rates right. higher in the black and brown community and you can trace that down to yes you know pollution from cars look at like the look at asthma rates and like around interstates where do interstates tend to go through urban communities, populations, you know, people of color, higher, higher asthma rates. Why? Because you're just free, like the air, the crap in the air is more. And therefore, if we can like start to get cleaner cars, electric vehicles, you don't have as much air pollution. If you don't have a coal plant, you're using wind or solar or nuclear, you don't have that air pollution. And then we start to lower airborne illnesses. And like that matters to lots of people you know, irregardless of your skin color, I, irregardless is an word I should say, regardless, I should check myself on that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Harvard word. It's a Harvard word. <laughs> yeah. So like, it, yeah, it matters to us all and it matters in so many different ways. And like, if we really want to get off to it, like I'll, I'll just say one thing and like I, all those impacts matter. And I think they're very real. Um, the big thing about climate change is like, it's going to matter in our home communities but like what it's really going to do is like the people who have done the least are the people who are going to get impacted the most. And to use an example, Bangladesh, right? Mm. Not responsible for a large portion of global emissions. That's people who industrialize first, like Europe, like the United States, very low sea level, a little bit of sea level rise. And that country is going to flood. Now, yeah. I'm, so this is going to be a couple steps. So bear with me. Remember how I said like, Within the United States, people who have resources 
are least likely to get impacted. Like during that heat wave, if you could afford AC, you went inside, you stayed cool, you didn't matter. If you couldn't afford it, you might die. Well, on a global scale, the United States is like that country that has AC. We have a bunch of money, we have a bunch of resources, and we're able to protect us. On that global scale, the countries who are like the people who don't have AC are places like Bangladesh. So climate change is like, it's gonna impact us. It's gonna impact every nation. The US, because it has its resources, will be able to deal with a lot of it it's not going to be unbelievably devastating, but for places like Bangladesh, it's going to be really big. And now what's going to happen? If you think about like 2012 and all the like EU breaking because we suddenly had like, you know, migrants coming from Syria because of the war and everything, all that immigration like almost broke the EU. What starts to happen when you have tens of millions of climate change refugees? When Bangladesh starts to flood, and then you have 40 million people who are like, crap, I can't live in my community anymore, who start hitting the road, start desperately trying to right. find places that are safe. And like, we live in a globally interconnected right. world where we need to trade. Like, I think COVID showed that. If you break trade supply lines, things start to crap. But what happens when you start to have tens of millions of migrant, climate migrants trying to go in? So we start to like beef up our borders. We start to freak out more. We get more defensive we will start to break the international trade and the movement of like goods and services that help us maintain our current standards of life. So just like, I know this is getting really macro, but like climate change, like the U S will be impacted directly, but where the U S is really going to impact it is I like to call like the secondary or tertiary effects of climate change. It's going to be because of like millions of climate refugees and a breakdown, the movement of goods and flow of people. And like, it's going to be a real problem. It's going to happen. And what really sucks is I'm like for the US it's gonna be bad, but like for the people, you know, in Bangladesh, in low coastal areas, in communities all around the world. Look, the Maldives is a set of islands. Like I think their highest point above water is ten feet. They're literally trying to have discussions like right. where are we gonna move our country, right? Like can we get a spot of land somewhere to move yeah. our people because our country might disappear in the next hundred years? That's wild. Yeah. I think what what really kind of uh, initially shook up the world, especially our generation, but then kind of maybe set some expectations that have uh, given this whole debate and work a bad rep, a bad branding, is the Al Gore movie, uh, The um, Inconvenient Truth. Inconvenient Truth. You know, he he gave some predictions that at this time, at the time when he said it would happen, a lot of them didn't happen. And a lot of them were these things that like Miami would be totally flooded by like 2010 or something like that. And a bunch of other things that I, I, I applaud him for doing the work and at least trying to be data driven. But I think uh, with the Maldives and things like that, when you talk to people and say, hey, a whole country is going to go underwater. Italy, Florence, right? Right on the water. You're not going to be enjoying those vacations. Um, other places around the world are going to be impacted. And then what we're seeing now with COVID is, and then the Ukrainian, uh, the uh, invasion in Ukraine by Russia, is supply chain issues. And that's something that everybody can understand. You want to get your diapers. You want to get your... Your, um, your baby your formula. formula. Yeah. You want to get your baby formula. You want to get anything that can be shorted is going to be affected by climate change. It's going to cause discrepancies in supply chains. I've heard some arguments say this, though, and I've heard this from some people who are uh, people of color who see climate change, actually, as a reckoning that can benefit 
previously colonized places. So just like you said, bear with me. Let me say, bear with me and see if I can I can make this make sense yeah. the way that they made it make sense to me. What they say is that there are certain places in the world that are better equipped to deal with catastrophe because they're less connected to the kind of industrialized global scheme. And because of that, if climate change shifts in some certain ways, you know, it's not always going to uh, climate change isn't always turning everything into a desert. Sometimes it turns deserts into jungles. I mean, Egypt used to be a jungle, right? And these changes, these shifts, they say, may actually recalculate the system where we in the industrialized world that's putting out the most uh, exhaust and whatnot are going to be dangerously affected, while countries that are not there yet are actually going to be quite healthy. And the economics of that might shift to actually benefit that. Have you? What do you feel about that? Uh interested in like i uh i think this is gonna there's a couple of responses here one is if you and there's been a lot of really interesting modeling done to look at what's going to happen with temperature zones right now the thing about it right. right is there's kind of this weird areas that are around the equator are probably going to get significantly hotter those areas are already very hot yes right um if you talk yes. so yes and if you look at like where are large groups of populations of pre like, you know, previously colonized peoples, they're around that equatorial band. Right. So I like, right. I, I like, I think you could make an argument that like, look, the relative impact, like maybe the United States is, I, is like at a, I'm just going to make up numbers here for relative scale. They're at a hundred and climate change brings them down to like a 60. So they've lost, you know, 40%. Of, of like what their GDP was and like what their standards of living were. So maybe they've had a larger relative hit. But like, if you look at other countries where like, maybe they're like, we're going to say their GDP and everything. And that GDP is not a great measurement for like how you are, but it's like what we use economically. And like, I have an economic right. background. They might go from 40 to 30. So, oh, they only lost right. 25%. But relative, like on an absolute scale, they're going to get hit hard and they're not going to have as many resources to handle it. Right. So like, look, maybe the United States is going to get its comeuppance and it's just desserts. Um, and like, but everybody's going to pay like, the, like this idea that there's going to be like climate change right. winners, like, oh, Siberia is suddenly going to become a garden of Eden. Right. And I'm from Canada. I'm from 400 miles. Right, north. Right, right. I'm from 400 yeah. miles north of the border. We get negative 40 winter. Like, OK, maybe right. my winters aren't going to get as cold, but am I going to have wow. more severe heat waves? Am I going to have more droughts? Right, Absolutely. Right, right. And like those things around the right. equator where it's already so hot are going to happen even more. So like, I don't necessarily, I'd love to have a conversation and like get educated or walk through the viewpoint of like how this might not hit formerly in the like, colonized countries as badly, but I don't necessarily buy it. And from what I've seen, it's going to be horrible. Right. Like, let's take, like, let's take, there are countries in the Middle East. I think it was Oman two years ago. The coolest the temperature got at night was 40 degrees Celsius, which is over 110 Fahrenheit, the coolest it got in a 24 hour period. Can you imagine that was the wow. coldest, right? Or you look at the recent heat wave that happened in Pakistan wow. and in Northern India that happened a couple of weeks ago, you had people sleeping outside of their houses on the sides of the road to try and stay cool. We didn't talk about it in the United States because it's Pakistan, you know, and it's India, Northern India, and they're like, ah, oh, that's a bunch of brown people, we don't care. But like. It killed thousands. It was unbelievably devastating. And these are going to become more frequent. So I don't necessarily buy in that it's not going to impact everybody badly. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, Cause I was, I was thinking of that argument when they were saying it, I was like, I mean, that, that is like almost a catch 22 situation. Yeah. That sounds great for equity, but that doesn't sound like likely or great for, for the, for the world, you know? Yeah. Um, so to, 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 uh, kind of, um, wrap up what we're talking about. I have, a last kind of major question for you. And that question is, how do you assess how the world is doing so far? Would you give us an A, a B, a C? What what do you think is the grade in terms of what we've collectively done? And is there still enough time? Are we too late? I know that Isaac Newton apparently said the world will end in 2060. Maybe he was predicting climate change, I don't know. He did find gravity. Uh, what grade would you give us so far? And what grade do you think we need to have? So uh, are we talking about the world writ large? Right? Um, uh, or, 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 or America? Let, let's, let's do both. Um, look, I'm an optimist. There's two parts. What grade would I give us? And like, is it too late? And I'm an optimist, right? Like, look, I decide to go into climate change and like com- combating it because like, I do have hope and I fundamentally believe we always need hope because if you lose hope, well, you don't have a lot left and we got a big old problem that we got to tackle. So we need to be hopeful. Now is the window, like the way I like to talk about this is like, I, I overuse analogies, right? We are going to get burned right now. It is a second degree burn. That's not a question, right? We are going to get at least second degree burns. What we are trying to do is stop us from getting third degree burns, right? And the window where we can prevent that right. is shrinking. Like it's not over yet. It's, but like there was, like, if you went back 20 years ago, people used to talk about climate change mitigation, right? Which was like, how can we mitigate? How can we prevent it? And then there was this shift that you had to be really nuanced to pay attention to the language where suddenly people started talking about adaptation. Why? Because they're like, shit, it's going to happen. So now we have to figure out how to adapt to it. So, um, right. The window is still open for us to act, but like we need to act now. Like you need to be thinking about it when you make decisions, right? Um, the world needs to be thinking about it. And like, right. like, and as I said, the window act, it's like, we're going to get burned. It's just, can we limit the amount of damage? So yes, there's still time, but it's not the, we are, we can maybe avoid the worst impacts, but we're going to definitely experience them. And we already are. Uh, now as for what would I give the world, right? Like, Let's give it like, look, the pair, like, you know, the Paris cop agreement, like that was a big deal. Um, let's give ourselves a C minus, right? You look at the amount of renewables that are being deployed. You look at the amount of money that's happening, that's being sure. deployed into the space. It's getting better. And like the trend lines look good, right? In the United States last year, more renewables were added than any other power source, right? That was like the majority of it. So like we're starting these right. things. You're starting to see electric vehicles on the road, right? These things are starting to happen, you know? So I believe we are starting to trend in the right direction. I worry it's a little bit late, but like, I do think we are getting better. So like the reason why I give us a C minus is like, it's, it's, I think we got to do a lot more. Um, Now, as for the United States, uh, I'd give us like a D um, and like maybe a D minus because like uh, 
we don't have political discourse across the whole across both of our major political parties recognizing how big of a problem this is. We even the Democratic Party can't get legislation passed, as I noted, when it has all three branches of government, like, you know, has the House, the Senate and the presidency can't get pieces of legislation passed to really impact climate change. Um, and if you look at, like, you know, our emissions versus 1990 to, like, where we are now, like, I think a great example of this is if you look at the United Kingdom in 1990 to where they are now in 2006, 2019, they have reduced their emissions down to 60% of 1990 levels, like huge, like they've made real positive impact. The United States, we haven't decreased our emissions. Like they actually went up. No, I should lie. This is a bit of a lie. From 1990, they went up and then around like 2005, you know, started to peak and have started to decrease. So like the amount of carbon we are emitting now as a nation in 2019 was less than we were emitting in 2005. So like positive movement, but not enough, not fast, not fast enough. So yeah. Um, but as I said, maybe the grades aren't great, but I'm an optimist and I think we're like starting to par- care more. And if you care more, like that's when you can really make change happen. I totally agree. I, I, I agree. I, I, I gotta say, I'm a little bit of a pessimist in terms of us really galvanizing and solving the issue, but I think there's going to come a point, there's going to come a point where it really is one of those points of no return for a majority of people. And then I think you're going to see some massive movement <clears throat> because our leaders will only act out of fear once they start really losing money and start losing power. And people can be whatever, but the people who are in charge, they're going to have to capitulate to some certain circumstances that I think are going to happen that are going to humble people. People are going to realize their own mortality. I think. And once you get one of those wake up moments, I think then we'll have something. Yeah. Like, but I want to thank my guest, Josh, to. Oh, yeah. Keep going. No, no, yeah. no, no. Last comment. Sure. Last, I was just going to say it's. um, If you live in a democratic country, which the United States is, um, your leaders will only care if you make them care. Right. So and it's incumbent right. on right. us. Right. You like if they don't think they're going to get elected because they don't have a good climate change policy they're going to start to care about it more. And like, I think people are myopic. We like tend to focus on the short, not the long term. And climate change is one of those things that always feels too far away, but I think it's starting to feel ever and ever closer and more and more apparent. And unfortunately that's because we're starting to feel the impact more. But if we can start to realize that it's happening now, that it matters now, that we need to act now and we start going and voting on it and you make it a single, you become a single voter issue on climate change. And that becomes a real political block in the United States. People will care. So like, Right. Call to action. Right. Yeah. I always say like I worked in government, like you matter more than you think you do, um, especially if you get a, a group of voters right. with you. So like get galvanized, get organized, start to right. care and like you can make change happen. And open up the issue to everybody. Do not just try to speak to the choir, I think is my last thing I'll say on this today is. Don't preach to the choir. It's easy to convince people who already agree. Go out into their neighborhoods like you would to campaign and convince people that disagree that this is an issue. Anyway, I want to thank my guest, Josh, today. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful conversation I think we had. I think this was really impactful. Uh, Super talented guy, as you can tell. And uh, we love Canada here, so we're great. It's great to have him. And for our friends in Chile, Germany, all over the world, and the Netherlands, Thank you for tuning in. Remember, for everybody, like, subscribe, share. We are on all platforms. 
and we are better when we train together. Josh, I want to, I want to, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much, man. Justin, my pleasure. Great time to be here. Thank you. All right, trenders, that's it for this episode, and we will see you next time. Remember, we post at the end of every month, but this July I posted in the beginning of the month, so a uh, special episode that was. All right.